This is John Stepling, and this is <clears throat> Aesthetic Resistance Podcast number 73. And uh, I'm in Norway, but with me from Sweden, Johan Edebo. Hi, Johan. Good evening. Geli, uh, I believe, Rune Motham. Hello, hello. <laughs> and Hiroyuki Yamada in Long Island, New York. Hey, Hiroyuki. Hey, John. How you doing? Um, and Corey Morningstar uh, will be joining us, I hope, um, in a short while uh, after she has chased away the, the leaf blowers, I guess, where she is. Um, there's always a bunch of things to talk about because I'm trying to check when the, the last... 19 days. It's been 19 mm. days. So the usual average of... Um, in and around three weeks or a little short of three mm. weeks. Uh, but there's always so much that happens, uh, it, it, you know, and this three week span, I don't know. It feels as if the, the, the news of this three weeks has, has caused more sort of mental fatigue and depression and just ennui than any other three weeks I can think of almost. And I'm not sure why. It was just, I think it's accumulative that you just at a certain point think um, the governments, the ruling class, the extreme unelected billionaires, they don't even try to hide the, the theft and, and domination they intend. Um, you know, England has an unelected Prime Minister now, whatever he is, overlord, um, who's a who's a kind of Punjabi Uncle Tom, I guess. But he went to Oxford, studied philosophy, and he's um, profoundly loyal to the the racist establishment um, in Great Britain, and he's making a very big push for digital currency and uh, uh, integration of this one central bank, so forth. I mean, even Russell Brand had a pretty funny um, piece on this the other day. It's ridiculous. And yet, I think the populace is, is very tired. On the other hand, that's the other news. We have seen, we, we have seen, uh, one has seen, there have been massive protests across Europe. Um, Moldova, Slovakia, Germany, France, Italy, Belgium, Czech Republic, Great Britain, um, Liechtenstein. I mean, massive protests against um, NATO, against sanctions on Russia. People don't want to pay high prices for heating oil. People are sick to death of Ursula van der Leyen and, and the sort of Mandarin in Brussels that are just openly contemptuous of, of the, the working class in general. So um, so a lot of people have woken up to some degree. Um, and they're not particularly politicized in a sense, but they know that their children are going to be hungry and there's the potential for everybody to be cold and the government is indifferent to it. I mean, in America, there's midterm elections. I haven't even checked this, and I think they happen on the 8th. Is that right? But I predict a massive Republican sweep 
of, um, mm. of the midterms. Massive. Nobody's going to vote Democrat. Um, they just, the Democrats are, are deeply hated at this point. Anyway, so there's those topics. We'll talk about Russia, Putin's kind of remarkable speech the other day, now a week ago. Uh, I want to talk about all of that, but there was an article in the New York Review of Books by Sue Howard on the metaverse, Mark Zuckerberg and the metaverse. So I will put the story in the links, not because it's you know, deeply politically penetrating or anything. It's it's not, but it is chock full of very interesting information regards what Zuckerberg planned for the metaverse, you know, um, what he imagines the end game will be. And it's not sustainable. We were talking before the recording. Uh, it would require such an energy drain, an unimaginable mm. energy. And you would think Zuckerberg would know this, right? Uh, so what is behind that? What is behind that that kind of cognitive dissonance or something? Yes, we're going to have everybody in a totally immersive. And then Elon Musk comes along. We can talk about him in a minute saying, no, but you won't need the goggles and all this stuff that's an extension of gaming the goggles, which, by the way, give everybody migraines. But, uh, you know, you can put chips in your brain that will allow you to enter the metaverse. Well, that certainly sounds appealing. Um, Johan. Yeah, yeah. And, and as you say, I mean, it's the, the Internet's infrastructure is, is like it's not a permaculture garden or a set of hedgerows or anything. I mean, it, it doesn't self-replicate. It, it takes lots of energy and resource input, not, not just to expand it, which the, the metaverse people are, are, are planning to do, but just to maintain and reproduce what's in, in place. And that's far from sustainable as it is. No, but this is this is going to segue naturally into a discussion about climate and, and pollution and all of this. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> because because if I keep coming back to this and I don't want to and I know I'm a minority report and I don't want to uh, a minority report, uh, but but uh, I don't see the the people in charge the Pentagon, the CIA, the State Department. I don't see those, the parallel institutions in China or Russia or India or Great Britain or the EU. Any of those people who make pertinent decisions, I don't see any of them curbing their behavior right. in the least. Not in the least. Are they, they just have a death wish? They figure... <laughs> Okay, when our time is up, the permafrost will blow up and we'll all die of methane. And, but I accept that. Let's have fun. <laughs> I mean, is that it? I don't know. Because they're not afraid. Private jets have not stopped. Wars have not stopped. Uh, you know, so all this fear-mongering about climate, um, which I would like, just one comment. I would like whoever um, in our our wide listener um, <clears throat> base. Uh, if anybody can provide um, papers with really cogent science, the, because you hear a lot of stuff, you hear conclusions, you hear references to studies, and then you are usually told, well, but it's too technical. 
for you, which may be true if it has a lot of, you know, math, I'm probably going to get lost. But the rest of it, nah, I can read it. I'm not dumb. Uh, whoever gives that to me. Uh, and, and so I, I don't, I don't get it. If anybody has that stuff, because I have from day one distrusted the narrative about global warming and nothing has, has happened in the ensuing years to change my mind. Johan and then Varun. Oh, the other way around. Go ahead, Varun. You've been in, okay, in first in line. Yeah, <laughs> I was just going to say, I think, I mean, if, um, pushing the fear levels up continuously with multiple crises that are continuously on media, it kind of drives irrational behavior to an extreme where people are now, like you said, John, as a fleeting statement, but it, it bears quite a striking resemblance to reality where people think that it's all going to shit anyway, so let me just have a good time while I can. And I've heard right. that said by a lot of people, and I think that's mm. also what is driving all this crazy amounts of investment in things like the metaverse. Yeah, that's a really good point. <clears throat> that's a really interesting point, Varun. Um, yeah, investment driven by uh, the, the irrational, unconscious <clears throat> results of, of decades of fear mongering, actually. Um, Johan and then Hiroyuki? Yeah, I think, I think it's an important observation you're making here on, on the, the, uh, the function and the role of, of the expert in, in this particular discourse. Because I think it's especially visible in relation to climate that nobody except the 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 expert the 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 enthroned experts may have any sort of position on this issue. I think the climate discourse basically brought this this new role of of the expert to, to life. I think in the contemporary situation. But, but also, as Varun says, I think there could be a parallel here to this, um, the fact that everybody knows that capitalism is, is not sustainable in the long run. And nevertheless, we're moving ahead with this machine. So, so I mean, that's the same sort of psychology, I think, which could be in play in relation to any sort of climate apocalypse. Yeah, it's, it's, that's, I think, very interesting. Um, we'll get back to that. Hiroyuki? I think uh, what you said about uh, um, global warming, uh, the skepticism against it, um, this is uh, this is kind of courageous <laughs> um, statement, knowing um, what would be the consequence of saying such a thing. And um, but you know what I used to believe. I used to kind of believe that, kind of used to believe global warming is a serious thing. That's something we should all work together. And uh, I, at some point, um, my thought have been shifted, you know, after hearing, um, re-examining what the empire has been doing. The manufacturing of crisis, manufacturing of uh, momentum, um, to um, prop up capitalism through the um, so-called solutions. And, um, and I'm not saying that there's not gonna be any climate crisis, just as I wouldn't say that 
uh, uh, COVID is totally harmless. Is it's probably as bad as flu or yeah. something like that, yeah. you know? Or maybe uh, uh, the yeah. threat of terrorists or the threat of uh, <laughs> drugs. I mean, you, you know, we can all talk about all those uh, crises, but the root cause of all those things are at the uh, capitalist structure. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's cogent to say that those people who are benefiting from all those things don't have any serious intent in uh, resolving any of those things. So from that perspective, right. it is totally healthy to talk about climate change, you know, same, uh, same on the same ground. And, uh, right. and I, I really appreciate, John, you know, your, your insight and uh, your uh, determination to uh, address these things honestly, because uh, we've we've gone through this. You know, people people attacked you for having kids. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, let me let me just say, speaking of that, this because this is so relevant to what you're saying. I was watching television the others late at night, and I was streaming some stupid show, only kind of half watching it. And there was a woman who had decided to become a mother and use a surrogate use IVF and a surrogate sperm donor. And she was talking to the sperm donor. This woman was like the lawyer or something. And she said, so you're okay with this? She goes, well, <clears throat> I'm a little worried about, um, you know, with, with the climate crisis, but especially with overpopulation, why am I bringing another child into the world? Now, this is in 2022. And that's what is happening is a, is a demographic collapse population collapse but they that for whatever reason is not a useful selling point so they keep pushing overpopulation it's it's part it's ingrained in in public consciousness now it's one of those things you know that oh yeah climate crisis got to recycle drive a prius don't have kids um it's <laughs> it's anyway i interrupt you go on here, Yuki, and then Varun and Johan. Everybody's well, I, I was just, you know, saying that this is an important topic, and uh, uh, I, I would understand that most people would want to avoid, uh, but but this is something you know we should really talk about because uh, all the things happening today, uh, so-called uh, the the next industrial revolution uh, that's uh, supposed to be coming, uh, orchestrated by the uh, industry has a lot to do with green capitalism mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. all the measures associated with uh, climate change as well as uh, the uh, the virus event. So um, yeah. it is an important thing. And also we should, we should also, uh, Corey had, has been uh, writing the background, why those things should be looked at. We yeah. have the evidences of the industries, uh, political institutions, economic institutions, all of them, media, they are collaborating to orchestrate crises. And um, she wrote about the, the climate, of course, but the, uh, uh, the, uh, the last one she wrote, it's not a social dilemma. Um, uh, that's the title of the uh, three-part series. She talked about the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the metaverse, basically. The, the fact that yeah. the, uh, um, it's not sustainable. 
you know, the, the energy usage and the, uh, the resources that are needed to make it happen. It doesn't just, yeah, impossible. You know, it doesn't make any sense at all, mm. you know? So. No. All right, I've got everybody's hand up. <laughs> I think we go Varun, Johan, Corey. I'm glad everybody's got their little yellow hands up. Okay, uh, Varun. Yeah. Um, I think I was just wanted to make two observations. There's one thing which is climate. The climates have been changing for centuries on the planet. That's how the planet works. It's not a. It's not a static thing, and mm. we we have a list of massive list of patents that are for modification of the climate that not a lot of people talk about and cloud seeding and such things which are messing around with natural systems, obviously they cause problems. It's like a butterfly effect. And add to that, the war um, um, spending and the, the pollution created by companies that are pushing for war. And then industrialized pollution, of course. Mm. But these are things which, and then you have something which is called man-made climate change for which the public is made responsible directly. And now you're supposed to pay carbon taxes for this. So, which also <laughs> kind, of, kind of, it kind of like also directly connects to the population problem that is conflated with this. Like you said, that over the last two years, there has actually been a collapse in the growth, but people are still continuously trying to push this overpopulation agenda. And I've said this repeatedly before, is that it's actually just cities, metropolitans, which are overcrowded. Because exactly. if you get out of yes. cities, you travel a little bit and it's empty land everywhere, right? Like so, exactly. It's amazing. You talk to people and they talk about overpopulation and, you know, in their hands, they imagine countries like the Netherlands and Denmark, you know, or Hong Kong or something. <clears throat> Have you ever driven across Denmark and, and um, mm -hmm. the, the Netherlands? It's all farmland. It's all empty mm -hmm. farmland. Massive amounts. You can drive all fucking day in Denmark and only see farms. Um, you go to Hong Kong and massive gardens in Hong Kong. But people in their head is a bunch of, you know, weird. Asians all piled on top of each other in giant You know, it's just fantasy. People don't have a grip on reality. It's just, okay, um, Johan and Corey. Yeah, something else, something you mentioned, Hiroyuki, is, is the way in which the climate change narrative is, uh, well, it's, it's fostering the expansion and growth of, of capitalism in, in, a, in a very special manner. And I mean, even assuming that uh, global warming is a significant problem, arguably soil degradation and, and poor nutrition in the third world are equally significant issues, but, but those can't be used to sell the expansion of the capitalist system in the same sense. And, and I think this, I mean, this Corey should get into to these issues. It's, it's maybe your forte in, in another sense. So, so maybe you have something to add. Well, I think you just hit the nail on the head, um, Johan, that this is the expansion of the capitalist system, right, in a very special way, as you put it. And so the whole idea, um, and I, I mean, I, I understand um, the cynicism um, from John and everyone and, and, you know, everyone, because we've seen now what we can create out of thin air to, um, and the fear, right, among uh, with COVID. So we, we see that um, there's no getting away from that or disputing it. A couple things. 
um, I'm sort of jumping around here a little bit about the housing and population that there's a new some sort of thing put out by I think his name's Adrian Monk he's had um, runs chairman or something of the World Economic Forum and he has a article out, or maybe it was a lecture I'm not even sure now maybe both why demolition is the future of construction right and then and I, yeah I was watching it they were talking about all the empty homes in Japan and empty housing and everywhere in China and how demolition, and I mean, I even see it um, in Ontario, all of a sudden we have this huge surge in demolishing homes and buildings when we have a homelessness crisis. And, um, you know, with the climate, there's nothing that is being pursued unless it's, um, unless it's a, a market, right? Um, right? So for instance, today, everyone, I'm in a city that's declared a climate emergency, and it's so noisy all afternoon from all the leaf blowers, right? It's climate emergency, <laughs> right? And it just goes, you know, it's just, oh, well, this is normal, everyone blowing their leaves, vacuuming their leaves. And then, you know, as I said earlier on, when we're sort of chatting back and forth in the spring, people will go out and buy chemical fertilizer. Right. And then yeah. this is just all normal. None of it's dealt with. That's um, easy. You know, if, if we really were in a climate emergency, why would we be doing that? And again, with the things with the wars and everything else. And what I keep coming back to that no one really ever reacts to at all is something that Gates and Gore both openly talk about when they're on um, panels with their with their buddies with their um, billionaires and it's they they I've heard them say this multiple times it's on the breakthrough website as well the world's building stock is growing so fast that it's effectively adding a New York City every month for the next 40 years and no one can explain to me how that can possibly reduce emissions because we know <laughs> it cannot, right? And especially when industrialization is number one for emissions. And that's why we have to blame the individual for the, for, um, the crisis, right? We have to blame the individual. Everything is our fault. Anything to do with water is our fault because we don't um, shut off the tap in between brushing our teeth. Everything is put on the um, individual. Right. Yeah. And, and for, for, yeah. for pretty much every crisis, instead of looking at the system. Right. right. And again, yeah. it's just we are not looking at the system causing this. We're not looking at the class warfare causing this. And so, I mean, I guess it's um, a lot, a lot of distraction. Right. And when we listen now in 2008, um, I don't even remember what year I started writing about climate change. I was doing a lot of work on it in 2008. And in 2010 or 11, I referred to a paper from 2008. And it was um, basically stating then that the temperature at that time was already set in stone at 2.4. And they um, and there's nothing you could do about it, even if you went to zero tomorrow. But I mean, the joke is, and it's a, a uh, terrible joke that, you know, when you, again, that growing in New York City every month for the next 40 years, and then, um, you know, the same page that emissions are going to, um, what is it, increase 50%, no, world energy demand is expected to increase 50% by 2050. So imagine like the energy we've, we've had from oil, right? And then now we need to increase that 50% more by these energy sources that don't give you that same bang for your buck, right? When solar, a lot of it will be nuclear. Um, carbon capture storage net zero 
it's really, really frustrating because I just feel like always, um, you know, pretty much talking, writing, so I'm blue in the face, um, hitting my head against the wall because it's right there for everyone to see, right? It's not, you, you don't have to be a genius to figure this out. It's um, all about money. It's nothing to do with protecting climate or nature, whatever you want to call it. And as we spoke to so many times, it's about the destruction of what's left and we'll just replace that with synthetic forms of nature. Right. So it's, there's just so much to be said about it. And now I'll just pass that on to someone else. <laughs> well, I want to get to Johan, but and Varun, um, but I, I just want to comment on that because um, a couple of things. It's interesting that um, that that people can't there is like acute compartmentalization that goes on that, that people have view life, their own life, they look at it as if they're watching it on a screen because so much of their life is spent, you know, I know husbands and wives who every night come home after boring jobs and sit together and make popcorn and watch the television. Um, and these stupid shows and they enjoy them and they feel secure and safe and brain dead essentially. And, <clears throat> but but I think that's an interesting sidebar that's like too kind of philosophical to get into. But um, uh, people are distanced from the world. They don't feel themselves. My recent blog post was on this. They don't feel themselves embedded in the social. The experience of the social is too insubstantial somehow uh, for them to care about it the way I think actually populations in 1400s or 1600s or even 1800s did care about it because they they worked on that world they were embedded in that society in some way even if there was class warfare going there's not even that today but the other thing i wanted to mention is homelessness very quickly because there are a couple of very reactionary documentaries amazingly effective documentaries about overpopulation in vancouver uh, and in Seattle, and I think there's one about overpopulation in Oakland. And, uh, the, the, you know, one is that Seattle is dying, I think is the title, and the other one is Vancouver is dying. And they're chock full of useful information and horrifying images, but the, these are very reactionary filmmakers whose solution is um, to give, as they put it, give police the tools to do their job. So they want to criminalize the poor. You think anybody wants to be out on the street? You think you have a child, um, a family of some sort, you want to live in a cardboard box? You think anybody wants that? Um, mm. but, but that's how the very far right wing does. That all said, the, the homeless situation is staggering. I get letters from people film, uh, a, a friend of mine who worked on a film set in Savannah, Georgia, talking about even their massive acres of homeless camps. Every big city, Philadelphia, it's not even warm weather cities anymore, it's any city. And the government, the media do not talk about this, the, the extent of it. They, like the same way they don't report on the protests in Europe, they don't report on the homelessness in the US, which is off the charts unimaginable. Um, okay, uh, Varun and Johan. I just wanted to add to what Corey was saying and then join it to you, I think, um, about this profit-making idea. And <clears throat> basically, 
this overpopulation and the climate change ideas, both of them are continuously reinstating the establishment narrative yeah. of, of saying that, uh, well, firstly, I mean, these kind of habits, the fast moving consumer trends, all manufactured with uh, built in obsolescence. So it's as if the establishment is saying that, listen, we gave you the habits that you got used to, but now we can only sustain these habits for a certain amount of people. Yeah. And yeah. so we have, we've got to get rid of a few of you so that we can all have this kind of standard of living. Yeah. But it's never a question about starting from the ground up to say, actually, mm -hmm. this kind of whole industrial idea of reforming society in such a way is absolute bullshit. And you're forcing people to go into cities because you've, you've essentially, well, at least, I mean, if you look at the example in India, that public policy has not been able to help farmers get a decent standard of living where they are. And so they move, they have, they're forced to move to cities to do bullshit jobs as slaves for other people right. where they can earn a meager living and send some money home. And they end up on the streets, man. Like, so, so that's, I mean, to re reestablish a format of society, I think yeah. that conversation needs to happen, right? Like that. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Great points, man. Yeah, I was going Johan? to do. Yeah, I was going to say almost exactly the same thing as you, Barun, because well, I mean, it doesn't seem to me that uh, overpopulation, reduction of population, is is the obvious go-to method for the the problems made manifest within the the climate change narrative. Yet, on the other hand, I, I mean, what what's the situation wherein the population becomes relevant is if you want to maintain the power structure of the current system and if you want to maintain the current system's way of approaching nature and way of approaching resource consumption and just to, just to add to this i read about uh, it's i'm not sure if it was toronto but it, it was canada how the the poor and homeless are approaching uh, euthanasia as a as, as an option, so to speak, and, and in relation to this, I saw that uh, one in fifty deaths in Belgium are now due to euthanasia. Uh, and to like to connect with some of our other topics, there are also plans to involve uh, artificial intelligence in this um, in this industry uh, with AI. Is supposed to be used in the decision-making process for a person's suicide. So, so this uh, this euthanasia proponent organization, Exit International, it, it has designed this uh, this death pod to be three D printed at your your own convenience, which will also you know conveniently double as a coffin. And they call it the the Sarco. And there are plans to integrate this AI system as this decision-making proxy instead of a medical practitioner. Uh, the proponents, they argue that this is, this is clear evidence that we're now heading towards a, a more humane and fair society. I, I just love that phrase in the context. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I mean, you can't go um, a week, you can't go three days without reading another article, another study about uh, the, the people are having fewer children, people are unable to have children, they want them, sterility and fertility, um, uh, that, that the IF, IVF business is massive now because people need help 
people having children, of course, they're having them later in life. Women are having children 20 years later than they did um, 60 years ago. But, but, uh, but there's just a myriad of problems. And clearly, a lot of it is connected to, to pollution, which, you know, is massive. And all. I mean, it's amazing to me. There's another one of the one, you know, one of the other facts that amazes me. Uh, is that people are still wrapping shit in plastic, mm. plastics, plastic everything, um, you know, plastic masks. Uh, everything is plastic. The packaging industry is very powerful and they are very low profile. They mm. keep out of the, the spotlight. That's been their strategy. Um, but they are enormously powerful and it's ridiculous with Christmas coming um, you look, go to a toy store, you want to be horrified. You really, um, I mean, it's just horrifying. And the most horrifying aspect of it, besides the senselessness of all this plastic crap, is uh, the packaging of this senseless plastic crap. Completely unnecessary, gratuitous packaging uh, that everybody, every parent has to find a way to get rid of after Christmas. Uh, it's extraordinary and children would rather play with simple toys and wood toys and blocks and whatever and go riding their bikes and they don't need all this other shit. Um, but that doesn't make money, you know? So um, anyway, uh, yeah, it's, it's very interesting that, that these, these mems in a sense sort of keep getting recycled over and over and over and over. And, and you see it with um, a variety of topics. Varun? Since you, since you were mentioning um, Christmas and uh, we're talking about labor and population and things like this, um, a few years ago, I, I had the chance to interview somebody who runs an organization that um, investigates child labor camps in India. And we found, or wow. they found, um, a lot of the Christmas decorations that go out into Europe are made in child labor camps in Asia. Oh. And they busted a few of them in uh, just outside New Delhi, in fact. And that was quite a staggering story because eventually um, a few, I think about two or three years after that, I was actually in fact in Germany at somebody's house celebrating Christmas and dressing up the tree. And so the way that these things work, I think, we are never allowed to actually notice or we are never actually allowed to be uh, to witness how the world actually works yeah. because the only thing that we actually get to see is the final product but we never get to see where it's coming from and how it's happening actually because we are all too busy surviving we're working like you said busy jobs and after that we are sitting in front of the tv eating popcorn so that we can have a vent for the stress and then we go shopping on the weekend right. and so forth and so forth where yeah. well yeah the pressure on parents during christmas is, is horrifying and poor parents especially nothing breaks my heart as much um, as watching poor families at Christmas, it's unbearable, actually, um, the disappointment for children and because they've been manipulated, you know, and, and the parents have been manipulated. The whole thing's horrifying. Um, uh, it's that it's moments like that that I just want to set it all on fire, the whole thing. Um, yeah. Maybe that's how I feel most of the time. But but 
you know, you're right. They, you don't get to see how the sausage is made because if you did, um, you wouldn't eat the sausage, you know. Uh, and, and, but, but there's another aspect of that, and then I want to go to Corey. Um, there's another aspect of that, which is that um, uh, you, the, 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 how do I want to say, maybe uh, let me look something up. Corey, let me go to you, and then I'm, I'm going okay. to have a further comment on this. I have to look something up. Go ahead. Well, when you mentioned plastic, I just wanted to throw this in, this new um, networking or whatever you want to call it, this new conditioning, this new normal of um, NGOs and um, global institutions and, you know, and even including World Economic Forum, there's this new thing happening. I can't quite articulate it, but for instance, there's a report on um, this month on November 1st and it's Greenpeace report, most plastic is just not recyclable. And so it's put by World Economic Forum published in collaboration with EcoWatch. So here again, you see the World Economic Forum, Greenpeace, EcoWatch, right? All working together, right? With Commonwealth, like one big happy family, World Bank, everybody. Um, and then it goes on, you know, and it's basically, you know, it's written by EcoWatch, which it be is like it features Greenpeace things. Um, first thing, only five to six percent of plastics in the U.S. are recycled, down from 9.5% 2014. It goes on about the myth of recycling, circular claims fall flat again. So they're basically taking the role of or basically portraying, look, we're we're like you, right? We care just as much as Greenpeace. We're activists, right? The CEOs now. They call themselves right the new activists um, yeah. and have all these names like chief pollinators and all this stuff. So anyway, you see this sort of new thing happening where they you go there to get your information and you can read that and go, oh, that's horrible. You know, World Economic Forum's not that bad. Look, they put out this article with all these, um, you know, basically um, you know, putting down all, all their groups, right? Their work. Um, saying how bad this is, they, you know, they really care. But um, basically, I mean, you read this and then you go buy a, a box, a new case of face masks, right? At, at the yeah, department yeah, store or whatever, yeah. right? And yeah. so we talk about this and just keep creating since um, the quote unquote pandemic, there's like this massive resurgence of plastic and there's plastic uh, manufacturing facilities being built brand new ones all over Canada and I'm sure beyond and plastic is is going crazy right it because plastic is oil so of course we need to use all the oil and you know and then you talk about we don't want oil against oil and you throw paint you know on the Van Gogh or whatever and then you put on your face mask what's the face mask made out of oil right and, and so yeah. And, there's and, yeah no the ludicrous nature of you know those protests at um, the museums, like uh, you know, gluing themselves to Botticelli or whatever it was, and throwing mashed potatoes at Van Gogh. All of the various ones are, you know, what's interesting is the collusion of the museum because the security guards don't stop them. Never. Why? Why? They have security guards in museums to protect against exactly that. Um, I've walked through museums and started to touch a had a guards. I'm sorry, you can't, you know, you can't pet uh, the breast of the Venus de Milo, whatever it is. Uh, where are the guards during these tests? 
I mean, you know, so clearly there's, this is, this is political performance art or something. And, and um, it has no relevance to anything, frankly. It's a, another diversion, but it creates um, division. It's divisive, uh, you know, people get very angry. Oh, those poor kids <clears throat> protesting. Da, da, da. I mean, the fact of the matter is there is massive pollution, jaw-dropping, staggering pollution. <clears throat> around the world. It has to be addressed. Clean water is an absolute crisis. Um, but I don't see private jets a decrease in private jet travel. I don't see a decrease in militarism. Uh, look at all the weapons being sent to Ukraine. For what? To be used up, pollute the atmosphere like the former Yugoslavia, Ukraine will now be a highly carcinogenic um, uh, landscape in which you know there'll be drastically reduced arable land for people and that's the that's what the empire does it goes in and it destroys places we were talking about that anyway yeah, yeah um uh, the, the irrationality right okay but, but i think there's a connection between this uh, well this inability to see the whole process or the whole picture that you described varun and this this unreality, uh, this the charade you talked about, John, it, it's a connection to the the recent uh, you know coronation of Elon Musk for for what you might call this throne of Western propaganda, because what what kind of stands out to me here is the enthusiasm with which people in the dissenter movement, for lack of a better word. Are, are jumping on this this bandwagon as, as if it were some sort of a radical sea change. I mean, they're they're actually celebrating the new Musk Twitter's use of of their fact checkers and their cancel culture suppression tactics. So, so I mean, a lot of the, the voices on so to speak our side seem oblivious to the fact that these sorts of structures are the problem per se not really the people who happen to sit behind the wheel. Apparently though, it seems like a lot of advertisers are leaving Twitter, including Pfizer, no less, but, but this also serves to characterize this uh, as political performance. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Varun? Yeah, I was just gonna say, um, following from the plastic conversation i think uh, in the mid or late 1800s the london science fair had given plastic the first place oh. and you know so that's how the establishment works it'll it it puts something out into the public as if it's the the best new thing and a, a few decades later now i think the timelines are moving really quick but a few decades later they're the ones who are going to be countering it to say oh actually mm -hmm. wait a second mm -hmm. that's not really good for us and then or or yeah. the planet and so on and then they will still allow every single thing you can buy in a shop to be packed in plastic so right. the individual is put in a place where there is no quarter except to bend to the rules that the establishment will create. And that's exactly where we are right now, I think. Right. Yeah, no, <clears throat> that's perfectly um, articulated, actually. That's, that's, um, that's the sort of depressing um, truth of all of it. And we, you know, we see the effects. I think we're reaching a point here. We are in 2022. We're reaching a point in which um, 
the social transformation of the 60s, uh, the last vestiges of that have, have died out. And, you know, we have boomers and Gen X and whatever the new one is. Um, generations increasingly autistic, increasingly illiterate, subliterate, increasingly neurotic, certainly at the least. And, uh, you know, it's a profoundly unhappy society in which how many people are on the streets? We're talking about homelessness. They don't lie. They don't, I mean, they do lie. They don't tell you the numbers. Uh, and yet there are acres and acres of empty empty homes and empty office buildings, but we live in a society in which the people who want that profit would rather children freeze and go hungry on the street than to damage one of their um, empty homes because they're dependent on those empty homes for you know profit and whatnot and whatnot. But that's a very stark portrait of the world right now, of Western society. There is no interconnectedness and compassion people are paranoid because everybody else presents presents a threat and that existed before covid but now covid has become like the vector for for this kind of paranoia but in general people in the west were very suspicious of others anyway and this just granted them uh, permission to be more so um corey Okay, so I just wanted to jump in about something, sort of a quick short story, because you, um, I think Varun was talking about carcinogens, or maybe it was you, John. Um, okay, Halloween, right? Halloween just happened. So that day I felt, because I feel so sorry for the kids lately over the past couple of years for little kids, I broke down and um, went out and got Halloween candy um, because the past couple of years, I haven't been able to do that just because of um, craziness in my own personal life. Anyway, I went out and got Halloween candy and I got um, Sunburst and I got, or Starburst, I guess they're called Skittles. Um, I don't know, I didn't want to get chocolate because of palm oil, this shit in it. And so, you know, sweat. Um, you know, the chocolate on the ivory coast, blah, 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 the list goes on. So I got this candy. Okay, I'll try to make this quick. Anyway, no, um, no, the, 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 kid, the kids this. loved it, right? Everyone wanted Skittles. I gave them, I had this great big bowl. All the kids came to the door and they're so happy and excited. And, you know, they it was warm that night. They all wanted the Skittles. And anyway, um, the next day I had some left. I don't know what to do with it. So I open the pack I'm eating them and they're so shiny right and red and I, and I thought a couple years ago that I had read that they were getting rid of all the chemical dyes and candy but I don't know red I must have yeah. I, yeah. I don't know why I thought that it must have been in something in Europe anyway I went and there all this candy I gave out is full of um I think it's called tartatrazine tartrazine mm -hmm. It's um, this carcinogenic, um, it's from petroleum oil and it gives them shininess. And I don't know, it's used in all the color, it's in all the candy I gave out. And so then I felt, oh great, you know, I further poisoned our children who are already being sanitized head to toe and um, not let outside and all this damage is being done. I gave them all this poison candy. And I just thought, you know, there you go, people, this is, they care about your health. They care about it so much that they still allow all these horrible things that give animals animals um, some sort of neurological damage 
they put this candy in this, this stuff in the candy that your children are eating, but these people care about your health, right? And again, this disconnect of what they actually allow us to eat, what they put in our water and our food, what these corporations get away with, you know, and I remember I'm reading a paper about BPA on the inside of cans and how the pine, you can use pine resin, but because the pine resin costs half a penny more, most companies stick to that BPA. And, and I mean, this is our whole society, right? How it functions, how it works. Um, so yeah. anyway, anyway, it's disgusting. And now as we've seen over the, I'm not sure what's like in Norway or Sweden or India, but here in Canada and the US, we're being barraged with um, news of our, what is that RSV um, virus in children and the hospitals are overwhelmed and it's up. 900%, you know, from last year, which means could be from one to nine, right? 900%. We don't really yeah, know. When, whenever they use percentages, you start suspicious, you know, just give me the numbers. Um, right. And then, you know, are, you follow, you follow that. And then you follow that right back to um, in the EU. I forget what corporation has come out with the very first, um, our, our, am I saying it right? RSV, I believe it's called um, vaccine, right? And then right behind them, there's Pfizer and all the rest, right? At, you know, trying to get out of the gate in the US and Canada. And then you just watch and we already know how this will go. We're going to have like, um, you know, the hospitals are overwhelmed. We have to have this emergency, you know, just like before how emergency use authorization and then that will become part of what all the children get they'll get their covid they'll get their flu they'll get their rsv vaccine i mean all these things new emerging markets new industries and i mean our kids i mean even with um you know transgenderism massive huge industry our children um you know all these bonds social impact bonds like kids really are being preyed upon like it's really um you know um, predatorial it's really disturbing and we've talked about this before now the corporations and institutions have this direct line to our children to mold them and condition them as they see fit i was just going to add to that is that if once yeah. you once anybody starts to see how messed up and depressing it really is they have already got your euthanasia pods ready because you can't handle it so you can be put into the fucking ground <laughs> You know, it's ridiculous, man. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. I was looking for that. But they made your pods now. On top of which, New Zealand just passed a law, a further Orwellian law, um, <clears throat> censorship. There's a, a cadre of information officers, uh, and they go around and, and stop what they determine is misinformation or, or agitation or whatever. And they have booklets they hand out to people, the citizens of New Zealand, encouraging them, if one of your neighbors is exhibiting any of this, you know, talking any of this dangerous misinformation, you need to report them to the authorities because this is a form of terrorism. This is literally what the booklet says. So um, wrap your mind around that one that's you know these are the world economic forum young leaders graduates trudeau and and ahern in new zealand if that's her name god she's ugly and um um you know all of them are are the new guy in great britain uh you know they are big on all of this stuff they it doesn't matter that people dislike it 
<clears throat> don't want it, um, protest against it, they intend to go ahead and implement it anyway. Um, Corey Johan or Johan Corey? Okay, sorry, I have to go on and finish my go thought on, on this um, Tatrazine or whatever it's called, Tartrazine. This um, is banned in the EU. They don't use it there in the candy. They they use um, whatever kind, so-called natural, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, I have no idea, in the EU. So again, it just goes to show because they haven't been forced to use it here. They don't, right? Because it's obviously cheaper, even if that means half a penny to use these chemical petroleum um, problems, even if they do cause cancer and neurological damage. And so again, this huge disconnect, why do you trust any of these um, governments or the system, these corporations with your children or with your health? And then even talking about this to people, people just think you're insane, right? Yeah. Like you're some sort yeah. of fucking bitch. You're like a hippie. Um, you're, you're just, you just take it too far, you know, like, you know, just enjoy, just I enjoy, just enjoy lot. the candy. Yeah. I hear that a lot. You're just, you're just going a little too far, John. <laughs> what is that too far? What? Um, Johan. Yeah, yeah, on poisoning children, then and and also, of course, to, to out myself as a terrorist. I just wanted to mention, and I think I sent you this this piece of news that Finland refuses the uh, the recommendation of these so-called booster shots. And the the remarkable thing is that they don't only cite the fact uh, that the shots are useless in terms of preventing infection and the spread of virus. But they also mentioned that they suppress immunity, which is, I think, astonishing from a, an official government uh, spokesperson. And so they advise against frequent vaccinations with the same concoction because it can suppress immunity, which, which would fully invalidate <laughs> this nonsense with four shots against a virus strain that hasn't been viable in the wild for, for like at least two years. Then another piece of positive news, I think I sent this to you also, there's a Swiss study, a new Swiss study that shows conclusively that everyone who's taken the mRNA shots are suffering some level of heart damage because apparently everyone injected showed increased levels of this, uh, this protein byproduct which emerges when heart muscle tissue is damaged and, and there's just no other conceivable explanation that, that fits the data. So, so this is mostly subclinical damage, of course, meaning it doesn't immediately present with clinical symptoms, but I mean, you, you shouldn't perhaps push yourself too hard on, on, the, on the treadmill going on. <laughs> well, but this is, this is fascinating. Um, you know, we keep speaking about cognitive dissonance, but I have noticed, I have a good eye for marketing trends. I have known people who worked in the advertising business, people who worked on Madison Avenue um, years and years ago. I got very close with people um, in that business and I learned a lot. And what I'm seeing now is the selling of unhappiness as happiness. You're, you're depressed in your life. You feel your life makes no sense and has no meaning. This could actually be a good thing, experts say. <laughs> Feeling miserable is the new actual not misery, experts say. Um, but I see this with all kinds of things. Um, if you have a bad self-image because you're overweight, don't exercise too hard to lose that weight. That's that you should learn to love the factor of fat slob. Don't don't get rid of that. Accept yourself. I mean, on and on and on. And I've seen now 
um, because so many people are obese, you know, in the West, it's staggering. And we've talked about, to look at photographs from 1900, 1940, the beaches in America, there's no funny fat, there's no fat people. Where do they all go? Uh, they all went to 2022. Um, and if you look at photos today, fully half the adults are morbidly obese. But, um, but the point is that I see big clothing fashion uh, houses and, and uh, I don't, I can't think of who, but you know, like Gucci and, 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 but all the way to Nike and from hot couture to sports culture to whatever, uh, using fat, and I'm sorry, I'm going to just go right ahead <laughs> and use that word, fat models, um, really overweight models. Now, I have, I'm not a, you know, a fatty hater. It's fine. I, you know, some people can't help it. It's hormonal. Okay, great. Um, but if you're, if you're trafficking in um, desire, in a sense, um, because that's all this is, there is something um, troubling to me about this, and I can't put my finger on it um, because people will say to you, wait, you want to stigmatize that? Well, no, 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 not, not. Um, but I don't think this is helping them, this kind of marketing, actually. Uh, I, I think it's, it's very counterproductive and is actually kind of passive aggressive. Um, and and damaging ultimately to to the people who are overweight um, because nobody thinks they look great in whatever and you're not going to ever condition people to think that I'm sorry uh, Varun but feel free to argue with me uh, Varun uh, yeah I think it's uh, it's quite uh, I mean, there is complex layers here because it's highly all of these kind of advertising ideas are very highly dependent on it on individual insecurities and group insecurities. And what's interesting is that you take a look at like the mid sixties and the late sixties and how this new age spiritual movement took, suddenly started taking a larger kind of uh, time in consciousness. And it lends like those two things together at the moment are lending themselves to completely isolating the individual from society because now it's the individual's fault and it's not no longer society that's involved within the individual and vice versa it's now you're completely isolated like you were saying before is that the individual is now only watching well the social is dead and the individual is watching a screen so you're always going to be outside it. And that kind of, I think that's the neuroses, which has taken really a strong hold within mass culture, is that everybody is now trying to be the perfect person and not learn anything new. And then right. that's the stagnancy that's been kind of implanted into society, saying that you're, you're, uh, you're good as you are. You don't need to do anything else. So this is a kind of yeah, passive that's... consumerism that has been kind of, it's a passive consumerism that has been implanted into mass culture, into society. And so people- It's very are... interesting. I, I, I let Johan talk and I'll comment. That, it's really interesting. This is a huge discussion and, and I want to have it, but Johan? Okay, yeah, sure. sure. But I, I, I think you said something a few days back that, that connects very closely to, to this, what both of you are now saying. 
you wrote something to the effect that now nobody seems to be really scared, not of the climate, not of, not of COVID, et cetera. And I think there's an important idea here, but what we, we, that we have to unpack it a little bit because and as I see it, some people are, are obviously scared. I mean, the, the, peoples who, who, the people who are guarding the, the, the coddled the children going on these tethered Halloween ghost walks over here, they're scared. And those wearing masks to the mall still are scared. It seems and my, my soon not to be friends are extremely uncomfortable when I question official narratives and, and they seem scared and, and angry. Yet there's this kind of, of role playing aspect to, to all of it. The, the emotions often doesn't seem to be deeply felt, but they're rather, you know, transmuted into various sorts of, of, of neurotic, neurotic behaviors and thought patterns because people kind of behave like they're watching all of this on TV, which they, you know, really only are actually, but they're right. also on some level desperate and, and terrified. And I saw these, uh, to me, really disturbing street interviews where pedestrians, I think it was in Hollywood, they expressed these uh, incredibly nihilistic, even solipsistic perspectives on, on truth. And while they might seem to playfully and, and, and jokingly entertain these anti-realist notions, what's true for me need not be true for you, etc. I think most people are at the same time staring into an abyss, which is, is quite real. I, I think what they're actually describing when they say these things, if not consciously, is the essential unreality of the spectacle of, of, of digitized mass culture, of this metaverse, which we're already inhabiting, as you said. So what are your right. thoughts on this? Well, I mean, you had mentioned earlier, I wanted to, to get back to that, to circle back. That's how, if we were in a corporate meeting, somebody would say that. Time to circle back to the topic about Elon Musk and free speech, because everybody saw the now widely viral mem about unrestricted free speech via Elon Musk is a threat to democracy. Yeah. You know, this is extraordinary. And I have seen, you know, LeBron James and Sandra Rimes and Tia Leone and all these kind of B group celebs and a few sports stars all talking about the dangers of unrestricted free speech. Um, these are the influencers that are hired out there. And, you know, LeBron James is a gajillionaire. Um, and he's talking about, no, it's scary as shit that we have to have somebody, you know, to make sure there aren't people out there using hate speech. And you think there's already laws against hate speech. You know, did, did you not notice that? Because they're already there. Some of them are very problematic, in fact, but okay, they're already there. So what are you asking for? You know, that you feel unprotected because somebody's gonna call you a name on social media? So there's a push, there's a very big push from government um, and, and the corporate sector to further censor um, social media and discourse uh, in general. I said the other day, I started to say this earlier today, there's no situation in the world in which talking to a machine is better than talking to a real person. Not one. It, it is always, always, 100%, 100% of the time is better to talk to a human than a machine. Okay, Varun, and then you'll end. I was just gonna say, I think it's a really dangerous precedent to say that free speech, 
free speech is not included included sorry i'm going to say that again free speech <laughs> is not included in democracy because that's the narrative that they're planting now yeah that free yeah. speech is not included in democracy that's exactly what that is right yeah um yeah no it's it's quite remarkable uh hiroyuki um, I, I, I think this is uh, really uh, uh, the, the consequence of the uh, uh, what's been uh, happening, basically uh, what the capitalism is uh, building this uh, the artificial framework that people needs to follow uh, the values and uh, beliefs and uh, norms. So those things are uh, constructed artificially by the uh, establishment. We don't have um, uh, those things based on organic relationship of communities. So uh, when we get those things from nowhere, we are being told uh, this way or that way, uh, they need to be uh, um, they need to be preserved somehow. And uh, and then we're gonna start to see uh, uh, voices from nowhere saying that. Um, you can't say this or you can't say do that. And um, so I think this is uh, something we, uh, uh, something structural, something that's bound to happen uh, in this trajectory. And yeah. uh, um, so from this perspective, what we are seeing about uh, Elon Musk and uh, the, the, freedom of speech is somehow a questionable thing is totally understandable uh, situation because the rules are all, already set there are things you can't talk about so right. you know right um yeah Corey. well i was just going to add and never has um media been so influential or, or more I mean, just so such an imperative in shaping and molding the minds of the masses as it has been in the last 10 years. And it really, really frustrates me when I hear, um, I mean, it's just incredible. Um, the fear pumping out on, on everything um, day, day to day, day after day after day after day. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm frustrated. And what you were talking about, John, like going back on your work, um, other authors who have been writing about this, but it seems like, you know, instead of being um, your work being um, constructively critiqued or embraced, you know, um, being rejected, um, you know, it's, it's becoming anti-woke, you know, that kind of intellectualism. And I think back to that book, Manufacturing Consent, right? Chomsky and yeah. um, Edward was the same, Edward Herman, I think that was in the 80s. And you think, why do we not understand that still? Why do we not understand right. this is this is a fucking machine, right? A well-oiled yeah. machine that um, is shaping our world, right? Why are we not understanding how it operates and, and what the components are in that machine, right? The nonprofit industrial complex, the media, um, you know, the effects of this. So, so it's all re really, really frustrating. And then I just want to add that Chomsky is a real dick now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but you know, so uh, I duly, know. duly noted, duly noted. Yeah. Um, no, it's interesting. Why don't people um, recognize this? I mean, I was watching a speech Michael Parenti gave a long time ago. Uh, 
and he said, and we have said on these podcasts, one of the biggest obstacles to convince people you're not a conspiracy theorist or a crazy whatever, um, is to convince them of the intentions of the people implementing these policies. That, that if you say, you know, Bill Gates does not have good intentions, um, they, I find people reject that idea. If you say Victoria Newland and, and Anthony Blinken do not have good intentions, they're not seeking world peace. They are not, you know. Um, if, if you say any of this stuff, if you say, why are these seeming lapdog governments in Europe, like in Norway, Sweden, whatever, some are far right, some are not, why do they, they drool in the, in the presence of American diplomats. They just roll over and, and pee on themselves, you know, um, panting. And what do you want us to do? There is, this goes back to this thing we talked to, Johan and I talked about in the, in the Knut Norman interview, you know, the, the narrative of, of American exceptionalism and the superiority of the American dream is very deeply ingrained in people in Europe, okay. most everywhere. Um, it's it's a backdrop that has enormous power and is always is always creating the frame for anything else that's being said. Mm -hmm. So you have to convince people that no, you know, um, Elon Musk isn't interested in, in in your. I mean, I'm all for free speech, but don't trust Elon Musk. Don't trust Jeff. Don't trust anybody that makes twenty billion dollars a day. Um, and then I had, I just have to share this. I had this, oh my God, there's no cure for stupidity, Thomas Bernhardt said. Um, this guy who was saying, no, I don't like, I don't listen. I, I go over to the Mises Institute for economic advice. It's interesting, this kid was black. He said, I don't like those Marxists. They're too caught up in class. Everything's class, class, class. I said, yeah, it's, it's an irritating part of talking to Marxists. You're quite right. Um, but he said, but why, why does everybody get angry at millionaires? I don't remember any millionaires stealing from me. <laughs> that's a really, that's a remarkable statement, right? And, and I thought, do I want to try to explain to this guy? And I thought, nah. Um, but but I think, I think this is a view that a lot of people share, you know? Oh, you're just jealous. You're just a hater. You just hate Elon Musk because he's so clever and good at what he does. He made a fortune. Um, no, I hate him because he's a rapacious, blood-sucking vampire, you know, uh, who, who only sees profit and, and not well-being of humanity. You don't get to you don't get to that level by being um, by being generous and and compassionate and you just don't. That's not how the system works. Johan. Yeah, you said it, Corey. I mean, I, I think that's the pertinent question. Why why do we not understand these things? Uh, and as you say, John, American exceptionalism. I mean, it, it's a myth of of religious proportions. I would say. Why, why do we not understand these things? Why can't we, I mean, 
as a people or as a class grasp the, the bigger picture here. So I, I've been rereading stuff from uh, Hermann Hesse and uh, Leo Tolstoy these, these last couple of weeks. It was Anna Karenina and, and uh, Steppenwolf. And something which really strikes me here is that nobody could write something like this today. There's this, this immense complexity of narrative. In Hesse's case, it's uh, the incredibly complex introspection. And in Tolstoy's case, it's this subtle depiction of, of interconnected relationships and personal development. And this is so far beyond anything that's currently found on offer in our culture because we don't have these organic interconnected uh, relations uh, in, in, in which what these novels portray can actually exist. I mean, the foundations for complex relationality and, and a vivid inner life that's needed for interpretation and introspection and analysis are more or less absent. And, and I mean, this is kind of yeah. a key problem that we get back to again and again and again. I mean, how to rebuild foundations like this. Right, how to create, um, how to re create education yeah. so that it, that it serves humanity, it serves people, it's the right kind of education. Yeah, and you and I and Varun have talked about this a lot, the idea of a, you know, a people's university, something, some inroad yeah. to, you know, to funding and whatnot to get, because education is so horrifically bad at this point. You know, there are isolated cases um, that, that um, predict that there are good teachers out there, but by and large, you know, the system is um, not designed um, with, with your mental health in mind or your physical health in mind. And capitalism, you know, but back to that Perendi article, I'll put it in the links because he just makes a very good point about um, you can't have imperialism without imperialists. There's somebody there who's an imperialist, an imperialist have bad intentions, you know? So uh, Jeff Bezos is not dreaming of, of projects that will, you know, better people's lives, make lives secure. He's not doing that. He's extracting profit. And that's all he does. Um, Brun, and then last thoughts from people. Oh, yeah. uh, just going on forward on the education idea, I think that got streamlined into compartmentalized thinking quite a while ago, I think. And then the way that the aspirational idea works, the general idea of aspirationalism in, I think, modern industrial civilization is that you get handed scraps by the establishment for following orders and therefore you're not going to talk against it. And I think it's not so much that people don't see it. I think that there is a deep unspoken compromise that people are making to preserve or preserve a standard of living at the cost of their, um, I don't know, at the, at the cost of their social connection, perhaps. Yeah. I think there's, I think my final thought and everybody else, I, I, I think that um, I don't know what goes on in the heads of those people that have power and extreme wealth, the 1%, the leaders. 
I really don't know. And Putin's speech, I don't know if you guys listen to it. It's online now. Um, it's rather remarkable. But what's remarkable is that he spoke, including question and answer, for five hours. And I don't think he flubbed once without a teleprompter. Um, Joe Biden can't even remember the name of the new prime minister of England uh, two minutes after he was told it. But, but nobody expects American politicians, the political class to, to, in fact, they're very suspicious of long speeches. They're in suspicious of intellectual mm. um, presentations of theory and big words and all that stuff. I remember when Castro used to lecture for hours, um, people would criticize him. Can you imagine he spoke for five hours? Like that was a bad thing somehow. <laughs> um, people just just don't want anything. People in general, the public does not want uh, to anything that will require unusual effort because they have grown accustomed to the idea that this is a service society things are given to me you know labor saving devices and on and on and it's it's grotesque and and the covid thing i mean crushed small businesses crushed mom and pop stores grocery stores restaurants one in three restaurants closed in the uk and us um so we're seeing a war on art on culture and on children uh the the climate activists you know throwing potatoes at van gogh okay you know um it's it's more of a, a sort of a metaphor than i think these people realize it's wrong they have the wrong interpretation but but the but the point is that that children are exploited the transhumanism agenda exploits children in a horrifying shocking way i think actually um, you know, children are not able to make rational decisions until they're, fuck, I couldn't think rationally until I was 40, but, you know, I mean, certainly I couldn't 16. So, so why this, you know, this push, but it's, it's profit. It's, it's just, you know, find a new market. Children are one of the new markets, deep sea mining for rare earth minerals is a new market. Um, children are a new market and, and the whole transhumanist thing is a new market. So um, that's always one answer and it's usually, it's usually the correct one, I think. Okay, last thoughts from uh, Corey, Hiroyuki, Brew. go ahead. I guess my, my last thoughts would be on what you were talking about obesity and that type of thing and why we are not allowed to talk about it or else you're very rude and picking on people and that type of thing. And it's really um, a tragedy because, you know, in Canada as well, I believe it's around half the population is obese now and it's especially impacting children which, you know, I mean, it's just, again, almost a war on children. It's not, it, it's, it's really, really bad. I mean, it's not just, um, you know, this notion, oh, you just care about how people look, you're so superficial. No, um, that extra weight is hard on your organs. It is hard on your body. It is unhealthy. Like this is a huge piece of health, right? And again, like through even COVID, we can't talk about what, um, you know, keeping our immune system healthy with what we eat and what we do, our activity. 
like obesity, we can't talk about the types of food we should be eating and what we should not be eating because then you're you talk about not eating processed food and all the shit food. And so, um, again, just more and more disconnect, not with, not just with nature, but with our That's, own bodies. Yeah. I, I just have to insert one thing because it's a great comment, Corey. And, and, um, the, I know people, this is the, we, the public has been subjected to, um, like two decades now of, of, uh, expert, online information, television, doctors, whatever, advising them, you know, it was the anti-smoking thing that has completely become a pathology crusade now. Uh, I can't get tobacco in Norway for all intents and purposes. It's very hard to get decent, good tobacco in any form. Um, I do, but, you know. Um, uh, and, and I know people who want to quit snooze. Snooze is a big thing here, right? We'd call it dip, uh, which tobacco, smokeless tobacco you put under your lip like Copenhagen and so forth in the US. Um, but the Swedes invented snooze and Danes and Norwegians. And still today, every farmer in Norway has got a fucking snooze packet under his lip. Um, <clears throat> and people want to quit because oh, it's not good. Yes, overdoing anything, you know, is not good you can eat broccoli excessively it will have the negative effect but i'm not i know for a fact that being overweight is far far worse for you than using snooze i mean there's just no question um the strain as you said Corey, that it puts on your body and your heart the feelings of depression and frustration um low self uh, image all of that goes with it and but oh but but snooze is tobacco, and that's like the the devil's weed. You know, you, you fall under the sway of the antichrist if you start using tobacco. Um, uh, I, I, me and Louis Boonwell, Boonwell had a great essay at one point about his friend tobacco. Um, as, you know, his little pack of cigarettes. He said, "This has been my companion in my darkest moments. It has offered relief." In my darkest moments, why are you? I, you know, it's no worse than breathing the air in big cities. It's like, come on, but but these things get stigmatized, and then it becomes a crusade. Everything has. Read my latest blog post. Okay, uh, Varun and Johan. Yeah, just a quick piece about tobacco because a lot of uh, mystical, well, a lot of mystics in uh, tribal societies use tobacco as not just in South America, mind you, also yeah, in Africa no, and Asia as, as, a, as a connective mm. to the divine. That's one thing. Yeah. But um, the other thing, oh, now I forgot what the other thing was. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's good. No, I, I, I don't think that I smoke pipes and cigars and I do snooze. And I started snooze because, you know, there was such a war against smoking that you couldn't any longer smoke cigars and pipes anymore. So that's okay. I like doing that in private anyway. I do it when I'm writing. It's okay. So I use snooze in public. Um, I couldn't, I have three young kids. I'm 71. I could not make it through life without tobacco. I couldn't, I couldn't do that. I'm just telling you, couldn't do it. Go ahead. And here are you. 
No, go ahead first, Hiroyuki. I have. I, I want to send you off with a with a, an inspirational quote. Yeah, I just <laughs> want to you know uh, express um, my feeling that the, the it's it's pretty amazing that all these things are uh, connected. It, it's it's um, it, it's it's really uh, if we step back and look at the big picture, you know, it's it comes down to the fact that. Um, um, we have a situation in which uh, our communities are destroyed by exploitation, subjugation, and um, uh, all kinds of decrees that are crazy. And, uh, uh, and that is a precondition uh, to give us uh, all those new things that are based on imperial framework. So um, it, it's 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 all collected. If they don't destroy our communities, they can't have all those things on top. And people wouldn't want them. People want those things. People want to rely on um, um, uh, repeating uh, imperial slogans on social media. They want to do that because they want acceptance. They want to be seen as good. And uh, if we have real community. Uh, functioning yeah. as a community, we we would know what's good and what's bad, right? So it's uh, it's it's really uh, uh, the the issue is really it really comes back to uh, the the form of the system, which is capitalism, yeah. right? Excellent. So um, yeah, and also um, someone mentioned about the uh, the Europeans, you know, they they have. Uh, uh, the uh, the U.S. I, 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 right. Um, can I go on? Uh, U.S. policies are basically uh, like unconditional decrees, and uh, and that's totally true. It's 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 the same in Asia. Um, you really can't um, have opinions beyond the imperial framework. Mm. Uh, people would, you know, if you start to say something like, uh, why do we have all the U.S. bases? Why, why are we listening to all those policies? Why, why do we have to antagonize things with China? People don't listen to those things because th that's, that's just not within the framework. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, is, it is a big thing, you know, uh, the imperial uh, the framework uh, for the countries in uh, uh, Asia and Europe, Europe and uh, uh, the countries that are under the uh, US hegemony. So uh, I'm, I'm just appalled that everything connects so nicely. It's, it's yeah. I, I, there's a lag and so we keep interrupting each other, I apologize. Um, I just wanted to add that, um, you know, tobacco was perfectly fine until the big corporations um, after World War II decided to make it addictive and put in things like ammonia and all these weird ingredients. That's, and, and you know, poisonous petrol chemicals. Uh, that's what made it poisonous and that's what made it addictive and that's what destroyed people's lives. Um, you, don't, you don't get addicted per se to cigars and pipe tobacco. So it just doesn't work that way. Anyway. Um, I'm just, I'm on a crusade, pro-tobacco crusade. Okay, uh, Varun, <laughs> and then uh, yeah. Johan. Yeah, I remember what my last thought was going to be that um, this is just kind of a suggestion maybe of turning, I mean, I don't know how many people could get rid of their cell phones, like Corey has always been saying, but 
maybe turning off the internet for a few hours a day that really it it does something it really mm, just yeah. unhooks you from mm. this absolutely vile thing that's happening and it <laughs> brings you back it brings you back into like real life immediately mm. like i i've done yeah. it off like, i think four hours a day i'm off the internet and yeah. i do the same thing i try to do it and i play with my kids when, when they're home and boy yeah. is that a counter an antidote to you know the vileness of the system um johan this absolutely vile thing that that's an excellent phrase so so these are the last lines from from chesterton's heretics and i i think i may have read them to you before but i, I don't i'm not sure uh and he was a, he was an avid cigar smoker in his in his day so there's that it is a rational thesis that we are all in a dream it will be a mystical sanity to say that we are all awake fires will be kindled to testify that two and two make four swords will be drawn to prove that leaves are green in summer we shall be left defending not only the incredible virtues and sanities of human life but something more incredible still this huge impossible universe which stares us in the face we shall fight for visible prodigies as if they were invisible we shall look on the impossible grass and the skies with a strange courage. We shall be of those who have seen and yet have believed. That's great. That excellent, man. Mm, cool. Okay, that's a place to end. Um, I want to thank everybody. It's hard to get us all together these days, and, and it's an effort uh, because I think everyone's suffering a kind of malaise of one sort or other. It's tough to retain an edge critically. So thank you, Corey. Thank you, Yuki. Thank you, Maroon. And thank you, Johan. And thank you, Jack Littman in, um, in Los Angeles. And I will see you guys next time. And thank you, John, also. Thank you, John. Hey. Yeah.